Yeah, today is uh, Palm Sunday. I'm going to read a scripture. Um, my message is not on Palm Sunday, but I'm going to read the scripture about it. Palm Sunday. It's the Sunday before Easter. And it's the Sunday that Jesus enters into Jerusalem and uh, presents himself as the king, as the Messiah. It's actually a day that was predicted by, uh, well, the day shortly after, predicted by Daniel, uh, of his, his being cut off. I'm going to read to you from the Gospel of Luke. After these things, this is Luke 19, just to listen. After these things, he said, after he said these things, he was going on ahead up to going up to Jerusalem. And it happened that when he approached Bethphage and Bethany near the Mount called Olives, Mount of Olives is on the east side of Jerusalem. It's a mountain range in Bethany, and it's about two miles or so. It's a little bit of walk downhill. He said, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village ahead of you, which as you enter, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat Untie it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you're untying it, you shall say, because the Lord has need of it. So when those who were sent departed, they found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and after they threw their garments on the colt, they put Jesus on it. And as he was going, they were spreading their garments on the road. You've got to imagine there's, uh, Jerusalem has swelled to, I don't know, a couple million people, much larger than normal because um, Passover is there. It's one of the main feasts that you come to. You had to make a pilgrimage, basically. So the streets are crowded with people everywhere. They've heard about Jesus. And now they're recognizing. Um, they spread their garments on the road um, sort of to make a path for him. And Jesus coming in as a, as a uh, coming on this colt, this donkey. Uh, now as soon as he was approaching near, near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God, rejoicing with a loud voice for all the miracles which they had seen, saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna, right? Did we sing that song this morning? Hosanna? We'll work that in somehow, right? Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your, your disciples. And Jesus answered, I tell you, if these are silent, the stones will cry out. And as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he cried over it and saying, If you knew... This, if you knew in this day, even you, the things which make for peace, but now they have been hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will throw up a barricade against you and surround you and hem you on all, every side, and they will level you to the ground and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another because you have, did not recognize the time of your, of your visitation. The time of his visitation is significant because he's, when, he go, when he goes into the city, when he goes on his donkey, it is symbolic of a king coming in. King Solomon rode in, King David. Uh, it's also a sign of peace. You ride in not with 
horses for war, you ride in on a colt for peace. And he's presenting himself to the people there of Israel as a king of peace. And the peace is not between them and the Romans, it's between them and God. And so the significance is that on one hand, they're saying Hosanna, right? And they're singing the praises of God. Not a week later, less than a week later, some of them will be saying crucify. And all of this, then, and Jesus sweeps because he knows that they're not going to recognize the significance of that event. That God was doing so much to bring peace to them. Interesting, one of the verses we're going to talk about is about peace. So why don't we go to Hebrews 12? Maybe this ties in. Hebrews 12. You know, I'm going to start with verse, the verse that talks about peace is verse 14. I'm going to, talk, I'm going to go to verse 12 first because I want to... The writer of Hebrews has been writing to a church, a small house church, that have been discouraged because of persecution. And they have been thinking about giving up on Jesus. And all of his letter has been arguing, that's not a good idea. Jesus is the best option in every category, right? We've talked about that for weeks and months maybe. <laughs> We've been in the book for a while. And in chapter 12, he's sort of saying, we're in this race. We're in this race. Don't, don't this race of faith, right? Don't give up, right? Don't give up. Run with endurance and fix your eyes on Jesus. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. When he says in verse 12, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble. And make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. He says, Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees are feeble. What he's doing there, he's quoting from the book of Isaiah. So go to Isaiah 35. Might as well just dig into the scripture, okay? Isaiah 35, he's, he's taking this verse from Isaiah as a word of encouragement, encouraging those who are weary and worn. Isaiah 35, verse 3, well, that's the verse he quotes. But Isaiah they have been weary and worn, and he's bringing them encouragement um, to trust the Lord. See, in Isaiah 34, they were tr- if you trust in the world, it's a desert. It's a dead end. It's a dry end. So we say in Isaiah 35, strengthen the hands... Wait, go... Yeah, 35, strengthen the limbs and give courage to the knees of the stumbling. Say to those with an anxious heart, be strong, fear not, for behold, your God will come with vengeance, the recompense of God will come, but he will save you. You know, in the Christian life, there are, there are those of us who are worn. How many of you guys are worn? You know, from, the, from, from life, from the race, from... The, just the things that, that you encounter, and they get war- you get weary. And the image there is in a long race. As you get longer in the race, the more your body feels weaker, and, and you want to give up, right? 
there are those of us who are who are in need of that encouragement, right? We need there. There's those who are who who you you see them coming down the stretch, and the finish line's right here, and you see them starting to to the knees are wobbling and their hands are like this, right? When they started the race like this, right? And now they're just kind of just, just kind of barely moving. There's those of us who are in that position. And then there are those of us who are the strengtheners, right? And you see guys who come alongside their friends. They're running a wrong, long marathon and their one buddy is just not, he's not holding on. And so the buddies get next to him and they, Put your arm out I'm here and put your arm and they almost carry him through. They they strengthen him, right? There are those who, who, who do the strengthening and we all need the strengthening, don't we? We all need the encouragement. We're all in the we're all in the race together, and that's why the the, the, the argument in the book, book of Hebrews is like, hey, don't neglect gathering together because you guys need the encouragement or somebody needs to be encouraged. Because they don't want to give up. They need the, 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 you can do this. God's got you, right? You need those words. Everyone needs those words. Amen? Yeah. I, think, I think of all the gifts, I think encouragement is the greatest gift because it's like it's the one, that, it's the fuel into the, like, I feel energized now because I'm reminded how faithful God is. I'm reminded how faithful Christ was. And I'm reminded of the fact that Jesus is with me. He's the one carrying me across the finish line. Job, in the book of Job, he goes through a lot of trials, doesn't realize he's, on, he's, on, he's, on, he's being displayed by God because he's so faithful. He's, he's reminded how he encouraged people. It says in Job 4, 30, uh, 4 verse 3 and 4, Behold, you have admonished many, you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand. Just the, the word of encouragement, right? And I, I have to say, I fail at this. Personally, I fail at this. Somebody comes to me and they need encouragement, and I'm like, I'm like pointing out what they did wrong. <laughs> it's like, no, I know what I did wrong. I need to hear it's going to be okay, Right? I, I see things going on in, in the world, and I get, a, I get frightened. You know, some of us get frightened at the news. It upsets us. And yes, I know God's in control, but sometimes you need to hear the words of encouragement. Hey, you know, the Lord, He, he is in control, and let's trust Him, and let's, you know, it is fearful things that we see in the world. I stopped watching the news. <laughs> Maybe I should, be, I should start watching it again to remind me of how, but that's how it is. You know, in life, you need that. But Job says, you have strengthened the weak hands. Your words have helped the tottering to stand, and you have strengthened feeble knees. Paul and Barnabas encouraged the saints in Acts 14, 22, says, that it says they strength, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging, encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. But then it says, back in Hebrews 12, are you guys, did I leave you in Isaiah? 
Come back to Hebrews 12. Although I might bring you back to the Old Testament. So guess what? Get, just flip back to the floor. Okay, Hebrews 12. It then says in verse 13, And make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Uh, to make straight path. A straight path is contrasted in Scripture with crooked paths. Crooked paths are paths that are evil, right? Straight paths are likened to righteous paths, right? And so you have this image of somebody who's worn from this race. If they turn off from what, like, prepare the way, like, sort of clear it out so that they, their feet won't stumble, they won't trip up or fall, or they're so, dis- they, so they don't get so discouraged that they start going on, on paths that lead them to bad situations you know some of us you know okay i'll just let's just think practically here because if the if the straight paths are are righteous paths um there are some paths that can lead us okay the path of doubt right negativity that can just lead us to doubting god and getting us out now it brings us that path this thing the thought process right I don't know if I can finish. You know, I know, I know in my mind and my heart that Jesus loves me, but sometimes I feel, ah, is it not worth it? And sometimes, maybe that's not. Maybe it's just me. And you go down that path, and you realize, man, it really stinks over this path, you know. And you realize, and you need the encouragement. Stay, stay. God is faithful. Christ is faithful. Don't give up. No matter how far you've run in the race, you've always, you always need that. You, know? you need the clear paths of the Lord, the righteous paths of the Lord, and the encouragement. So the straight paths are contrasted with the crooked and devious paths. In Proverbs 2 it says, paths, uh, well, did I put down? Proverbs 2, just, uh, just stay where you're at. I'll, I'll just uh, read it. Proverbs 2, uh, 15. Um, bless you. Allergy season is here. Proverbs 2, uh, verse, I think of 14 and 15. Uh, it talks about, um, uh, yeah, whose paths are crooked and whose devious, who are devious in their tracks. Or, for, or Proverbs 4.15 also says, um, uh, 4.14 4, and 15 says, Do not enter the path of wicked men and do not step in the way of evil men. Avoid it and do not... Pass by it. Stay stray, stray from from it and pass on. Like don't go down those wicked paths. So in, in the context of Hebrews, it's a matter of of clearing the way, and that part of that is you as as those who are incur- the ones who are who are strengthened and are inc- the encouragers to keep on their path, so that others who are they're looking to you for example, you know, and we're looking to Christ at the same time, you know. That's why we need the examples of those who have gone before us. We talk about this at the, at the men's group. We talk about you know, people from whether it's you know, in our lives or you know, the scriptures, people of faith that have gone on before and they face tra- such challenges. And we look, okay, I get some encouragement from realizing that they stayed the path. All right, Hebrews 12. You guys still there? 
All right. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but may be healed. Verse 14. Let's just go there. This is part of walking that straight path. It's pursue peace. It's a straight path of pursuing peace with all men. It's actually two things. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification or the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. But let's focus on the pursuing peace with all men. We saw him bringing up this idea um, Well, actually, let me show you something, okay? You see it says, pursue peace with all men. And you see the verse before that, make straight paths, right? Okay, so what he's doing there is he's quoting from Proverbs 4. So I want you to go to Proverbs 4, 26 and 27. I, I know it's, if, if it's, uh, I want to sh- show what he's doing here. Um, is it stuffy in here or, or is it just me? A little stuffy? We open the window or maybe the... Fan. What's it? It's just me. I'm full of hot air, right? <laughs> okay, here's what he's doing. I, I like to show you this, some, this, some sort of uh, technical stuff, right? So the writer of Hebrews quotes from what is called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's one of the Bibles that Jesus would have read. Okay. And what's interesting is, so he quotes from the Greek translation of the Old Testament. In your Bible, most of your Bibles are translated from the Hebrew in the Old Testament, okay? But the writer of Hebrews translates from the Greek translation. It's called the Septuagint. So in Proverbs 4, uh, 26 and 27... It says, now my, I have a different translation. To some of you. Mine says, um, watch the track of your feet or make a level or balance the track of your feet. Um, Nick, can I borrow your Bible? Yeah, so he says, watch the path of your feet and all your ways will be established, right? So he's, he's quoting from that. Watch how you walk establishes your life, right? How you walk actually brings healing. You know, some people want to do a quick fix it, but sometimes it's how you walk that brings healing and maturity to your life, right? Watch this. So then he says, in all your ways will be established. Do not turn to the right nor to the left. Turn your foot from evil. Now stay there. Now in Hebrews 12, though, it says, um, in Hebrews, I'm sorry, Hebrews 12, in, uh, in the Septuagint, watch this. I've never done this with you guys, have I? Okay. That's okay. So in Proverbs, which, Proverbs add, adds to that second verse, that verse 27, a part B. And this is what the Hebrew writer is going to tie into. Okay, watch this. Do not turn, verses, uh, verse 26, make pa- straight paths for your feet and make your way straight. Do not turn away to the right nor to the re- left. But turn your back, uh, nor, but turn your back, your foot away from the evil, for God knows the ways from the right, but those from the left are diverted. 
Now here's the part he adds that the Hebrew writer is connecting with. And he will make your paths straight and he will lead your courses forward in peace. Let me read it again, okay? <laughs> Verse 26, make straight paths for your feet and make your way straight. That's a righteous way of walking. Not crooked, but right, walking righteously. Do not turn away to the right or left. Don't get off that path. Um, Verse 27, for God knows the ways from the right and from those from the left are diverted. And he will make your paths straight and he will lead your courses forward in peace. Now, what is he talking about there? I think what he's doing here is he is, when he says pursue peace with all men, he's keying in on that, that last section, right? that if you're walking in the straight paths of the Lord, right, it ought to lead to peace in your life. Now, we're talking, what kind of peace? Are we talking about the peace of God? Peace with God? No. Because that's already been established, right? If you're a believer, you have the peace of God, right? You have the peace with God. And it's part of the, the, the Jesus coming in Jerusalem, right, on the donkey. Hey, I'm coming in peace. But then he says, pursue peace with all men, that word pursue, it means to chase after. It means to, to make it like a hunt. That in your life, practically, you are seeking, because you're walking the straight with God, that part of that is being like Jesus, seeking peace, right? Of course, that assumes that there are times when there are not peace between you and people you know, right? When you, when you have to 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 humble yourself and say you know it's you paul says do as far as it depends on you be at peace with all men as far as it depends on you be at peace with all men and so this pursuing peace is this idea of of relationships that are restored relationships that are mended Humility of your own heart. I mean, you could be at odds with somebody and say, well, I'm right and they're wrong and I'm not going to change until they come to me. Right? I've had family members, you know, I don't want to go through all it with family, but I know people who who have been so stubborn, and I can be stubborn like that. And I'm trying to, Lord, and part of pursuing peace is recognizing, okay, if you are if you're in human human relationship, okay, there's sinful hearts and selfish hearts and self centered hearts at, at play here, right? But there has to come a humility where God says, So far it depends on you. Now it doesn't mean that they're gonna respond like, hey, yeah, I forgive you or this, that, and the other. But there are times, there may be times you're in a relationship with somebody you know, I'm talking friendship, marriage, whatever it is, right? Where you're shown a blind spot in your life. And you realize, oh, that blind spot was hurting to you. That blind spot was causing uh, hurt to the relationship and to you. And I didn't realize. And so 
you, you get hit with this blind spot and you realize, I had no idea. The way I talk, the way I act, the, whatever, something I said, that you, that, that it hurt you and it was not intentional, right? And you're, you're like, and there, now there's a decision. What do I do with that? Uh, the self wants to say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Right? The self wants to say, the flesh wants to say, that's who I am. Deal with it. Right? Then Christ says, son, <laughs> daughter, I didn't realize my, my words had such edge to them, right? I didn't realize my tone was like, like you know, kind of like a thorn. We have a tree in our, in our front yard. We're talking to the, was that you guys yesterday morning about this tree. It's beautiful look out this front yard, this front tree we have in the book. I didn't realize that when we ordered the tree um, years ago, that from a distance it's beautiful. We come up and it's full of thorns. I mean, we hang Christmas lights at wintertime. And where you got to wear gloves because <laughs> there's thorns on the trunk, there's thorns on the, the branches, there's thorns everywhere. And you can't get close to thorny people, can you? So part of the peace thing is, part of it is on the one side recognizing, okay, if I'm to pursue peace with all men, part of it is having the humility to say, okay, what have I done? Help me to approach this with an attitude of brokenness. You know, our world is full of strife and divisions and, and disunity and arguing and hurt and bitterness and unforgiveness. And to follow the way of Jesus is to say, here is Jesus, the Son of God, who takes the first step to establish peace between us and God. God didn't wait for us to make peace with him. He took the first step. And he was the offended one. We sinned against him. He didn't sin against us. But yet, though he is righteous, he took the first step to try to make peace. That's, that's, <laughs> give me some time with that, Lord, right? Give, give me a little bit with that because there's a humility to our, there's a humility there. When we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? The psalmist says, we are to depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, does this mean that, does pursuing peace mean agreement? Well, not, not necessarily. But here's the key. The relationship is more important than winning the argument. Right? Many times we get into 
I'm speaking from a man's perspective, from my own personality. I want to win the argument. <laughs> I want them to see my point of view because I'm right and they're wrong, right? And you do that all by yourself. You're by yourself because you ruin the relationship. Relationship is more important than winning arguments. Now, if the person doesn't want to have peace with you, you can't change them. Obviously, pursuing peace doesn't mean that you break God's law or rules. It's within the context of righteousness, but it's that heart attitude, right? Did I leave you in Hebrews or did I leave you in Proverbs? Where were we at? Go back to Hebrews. Verse 12. Verse 14. All right. Pursue peace with all men, and this is closely rated, the sanctification or the, the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The sanctification or holiness, it's, it's actually a word that's uh, hagiasmas. It means... Uh, it's the act of becoming more personally dedicated to God. So it, there's an idea of holiness where as Christians we are, set, we are called holy, right? We're, we're set apart for God. Um, the, if you look at the Corinthian uh, letter, 1 Corinthians, he calls them saints, although they're very carnal, right? They're called saints. Um, we, of course, have this process of sanctification through which we are, we're growing in. But this word in Greek, this hagiasmos, that the, the ending, that mos ending, M-O-S, indicates a process or action of growth. So it doesn't say uh, seeking and, and, and the sanctification. It doesn't mean that we are going to be perfectly holy in our lives 24-7, but it's a process of growing more and more like, like Christ. All right? And this idea of, of seeking the Lord, it means to, or of, of pursuing peace, pursuing holiness, it really is another way of, of saying seeking his character, of seeking his presence, of having intimacy with him, of seeing God, right? And having God's character be reflected in our life. couple of verses about that. 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2, Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us instruction as how you to walk and please God, just as you actually do, that you excel still more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he elaborates that you, in this case, abstain from sexual immorality. Right? He says, God has not called us to impurity, but sanctification. And several others. But this idea of, of seeking sanctification is seeking the Lord, seeking His presence, seeking 
to know his heart so that his character is reflected in our lives. That's why it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now I'm at a point in my sermon when I can continue or I can finish. (laughs) I have three things that hinder this, though. We're, We're seeking, pursuing peace, sanctification. Okay, that's the goal, but there are things that hinder that. Let's see, next Sunday is Easter, right? Keep going. Keep going, okay. Okay, I'll finish, okay. You're back in Hebrews, right? Pursue peace with all men, sanctification without no one will see the Lord. Now there's three things that will hinder that. Seeking of peace, not seeing the Lord, right? I don't know if to call these hindrances or helps, because on the one hand they're hindrances, but the opposite are helps. So let's go hindrances. First of all, is falling short of the grace of God. Look at what he says here. See to it, verse 15, that no one falls short of the grace of God. Do you know how relationships actually thrive? They thrive most when we give grace to one another, don't they? Now, in this context, the grace of God, he's referring to the whole, everything that Jesus done for, for us, and there the Hebrew listeners are thinking about turning away from that. So the grace of God is everything that God has done for, for salvation. But on a practical level, you know, friendships go a whole lot better when you're gracious to one another than when you're judgmental, aren't, don't they, right? When you're judgmental to a friend or a spouse or a family member, and you're judgmental, that, that causes right a rift. But when you're gracious, you kind of like, I can be myself with that person. She can be herself with me, you know, and he, that kind of thing. There's this the, the, extending the grace that God has shown us, and that takes, that takes some work, right? right? And so one of the hindrances is this idea of that, that the grace of God is, is falling short. And of course, again, in the original context, he's talking about them leaving all that God has done through Christ of salvation and denying that. And so, if you've received Christ and received his grace, it ought to change how you look and respond to others. He who loves little, has been forgiven little, loves little. He who loves much, or has been forgiven much, loves much, right? right? And to show grace means to show kindness, graciousness. And this is something I'm working in my own life. I fail at this a lot, I'm telling you. I, I, I preach grace, but boy, I can be real. I can be real judgmental personally, and I'm asking God to work in my heart about this. That's the first thing. I'm not going to go too deeply into some of the second thing is bitterness. First, falling short of God's grace. Secondly, bitterness. Bitterness will ruin relationships, won't it? He says that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. This, this idea of root of bitterness is from the Old Testament, and it talks about uh, in Deuteronomy 29 that there may be those who want to turn away from God, and if they do, it, affects, it can affect others within the community to want to do the same or mess up their, like, what happened here? So-and-so was a follower of Jesus, now they turned away, and that messes you up, right? So... Uh, it spreads like a bitter root. Bitterness is, of course, means 
a sharp, uh, intense resentment or hate or spite. And of course, Paul addresses this in his letters in Ephesians 4.29. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. People are bitter. There's this negativity and they want to talk and they want to, and it spreads and it kind of affects, it's like a root that spreads, you know, and it kind of just, it just kind of, it just kind of defiles and corrupts. And he says, that ruins relationships. James ties bitterness with selfish ambition. He says, if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Bitterness will always corrupt and defile. People become bitter because they've been hurt or maybe they're jealous or they, you know, there's some loss they've suffered and, and they don't know how to handle that. How to, how to, this, there's a wound there, right? There's, a, there's something there and of course um, God is gracious to be able to heal that but if, if it stays underground, so to speak, if it stays, if it doesn't, you don't present it to God, it's like this is my heart, this is where I'm at, then it's sort of, it's, it's, it's sort of this simmers. And it always defiles. It always, you know, you know you're around bitter people. They're just they're gossiping. They're unhappy. Nothing ever satisfies. Because there's, there's some root there that has caused that. There's some pain. There's some area of woundedness that, and sin, of course, there, there has to be dealt with. And, and it never, it brings thorns, right? It doesn't bring fruit. And so... Part of seeking peace, pursuing peace and holiness is, is dealing with bitterness, you know. And the third thing that will hinder the uh, pursuit of peace and sanctification is selfishness and living for self-pleasure. Look at what he says in verse 16. That there be no, also be no sexually immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterwards he had desired, when he had desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected for he found no place for repentance though he sought it with tears. You know, the story of Esau, Jacob and Esau, um, Esau sold his birthright and his blessing for cheap. Um, his birthright in uh, Genesis 25, he had the right to most of dad's stuff. Let's just put it that way, okay? But he sold it for a meal. He came in from the field famished and he was, give me some of that, that red stuff there. Right? That stew. And his brother said, let's make a deal. <laughs> I'll give you a bowl of stew. 
you give me your birthright. <laughs> Fine. I mean, Esau didn't care about eternal things. He only cared about here and now, right now, what can feed my tummy, what can satisfy instant gratification. That's how Esau lived his life. And then, of course, later on, his brother took their dad, and he got the blessing as well. So Esau is this picture of a person who just lives for the temporal things. Doesn't even, doesn't even consider eternal things. He's selfish. And selfishness will destroy a relationship. There's a danger of trading away the eternal for the temporary for a quick relief. He didn't value the things of God. And so what the, here's what the Hebrew writer is doing with his audience. He says, listen, you guys have been shown so much through Christ. You guys have been given Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a tremendous blessing of having Christ. Forgiveness of sins, new life, right? Don't trade that in for a bowl of stew, basically. Don't trade it in because you want to get out of pain and suffering. Don't trade it in because you want to avoid the persecution. Don't be like Esau, he's telling them. See, things of value are worth holding on to and not giving up on, right? I throw away paper plates, but I don't throw away China, right? I value, hopefully I value friendships and relationships and family, right? I don't just throw them away because they're valuable. I mean, if, you're, if I'm honest, at, at our house, I tend to be the one that wants to throw things away, you know? <laughs> Clean the house up, you know? But, but there may be something of value, so maybe I'm... But in relationships, and now he's telling the, the Hebrew listeners, he says, listen, don't throw something of such value away to get you out of pain. I know it's tempting, but don't throw it. Don't give it up. I mean, that, that's your marriage. You've invested in your marriage. Don't, you know, don't click on that button. Don't don't make that phone call. Don't okay. Don't throw out, you know throw away. Devalue what what God has given you. Is any of this is this. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. If we are gracious, right. For if, we're, if we have a tender heart and not a bitter heart, if we value eternal things, godly things, that will help us with that pursuit of peace, you know? And ultimately, Jesus Christ, of course, accomplished it all for us on the cross. Let me pray. We're going we're gonna to pray and then... Just thank the Lord for today. Lord, thank you so much for for your word. Thank you for the fact that you you so desire to have a relationship with us, Lord, that you purposely stepped down from heaven, became a man, lived among us, lived as us in a sense that you grew hungry and tired and thirsty. You worked. 
You had family members, brothers and sisters, and you experience life the way we experience life, but of course you're different, Lord. You are your God. But you came on a mission, Lord, to to establish peace. And the ultimate thing, Lord, that we are just so grateful, Lord, is that you, because of what you did on the cross, we can have peace with God and the peace of God. And those of us who have the peace of God, Lord, let it reflect in our relationships. Help us to pursue peace and pursue holiness and righteousness. Help us, Lord, to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And it's his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Why we stand up? This has been a, a weird day, hasn't it? <laughs> all the tech issues and all the all the stuff. But you guys, it was kind of cool hearing everyone sing a cappella, you know? Like, it's like we're back in the first century, you know? Like the old days, you know? <laughs> they didn't have overheads back then, you can imagine. But but um, that's all we need is, you know, we're, we're worshiping the Lord, and He doesn't care about the gadgets, you know? That just, that's, just, that's just added frosting, you know? Um, next week is Easter Sunday. It's going to be a special, special day. We're going to celebrate that our Savior is alive. He is alive. And uh, so come, bring your friends. Um, Friday, for those who are going to the Passover Seder, it's going to be a wonderful time. And uh, in prayer for that, because it's, uh, it's a lot of work, but we're going to have a lot of fun. Um, let me bless you, Lord. Um, just pray, uh, pray your blessing on my friends here with the words that you told Moses to, to give to Aaron. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Graciousness and peace in the same verse. That's awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. I didn't realize that. Isn't that awesome? I just love that. Anyway, God bless you. Hey, Hang out, talk, go to lunch together, invite, you know, whatever, do what you do. Just bless one another, love one another. And uh, if you haven't filled out a, a, a guest card, please do. We'd love to keep you in contact. So anyway, Thursday, 3 p.m. If you want to help out, 3 p.m. Thursday with the Passover. All right. <laughs>